Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spooky Town podcast, episode six. I'm Ashley, and with me, as always, is my gorgeous, hilarious, and not quite as good as me sister. I'm just mm. kidding. <laughs> it's me, Stephanie. Stephanie. <laughs> yep, we're here. We're back. And this week, we are super excited to talk about Final Destination. I am very, very excited. excited to be here. Yeah. We are very excited to be here. And this is, as we talked about in episode five, um, part of our series called The Lost 2000s, where we dig into some of the um, horror movies from the 2000s that really kind of define the decade. Um, it's a decade that's a little bit misunderstood in the horror community um, and industry at large. So we're here to kind of dispel some of those myths about it being not great for the horror genre and talk about some of the movies that really stood out to us and kind of helped frame um, the decade as a whole. So what would a discussion of that be without a discussion of the Final Destination franchise? And more specifically, we're going to focus mostly on the first film, but then, of course, kind of how it fits into the larger uh, universe that's created with the other uh, four films in the franchise. So that's what we're chatting about today. We're really excited about that. Um, but as always, Steph, let's talk about what we watched this week. What did you watch? I watched a pretty good amount of movies. I would mm-hmm. not say that they were all good. Um, but I did. <laughs> I mostly obviously watched all five all four Final Destination movies, and then also that one that's called The Final Destination, which is the fourth movie. Yeah. yeah. Stephanie's an, not a fan of that Well, one. it is an abomination of, like, film. So. Right. There is that. Yeah. Of course. But I did watch that, and not only did I watch it, but I paid for it. <laughs> so there's also that. <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised to find out that Final Destination 5 is actually available on HBO. So that one did not have to rent. Did not have to rent that one. <laughs> yep. uh, but other than that, uh, once again, I revisited the James Wan universe, listeners, with Insidious The Last Key, which is, I believe, the fourth movie of mm. the Insidious uh, franchise. It's actually, in my defense, it's actually not that bad. Yeah, and it's not it, that bad. It stars Lynn Shay, like she's the main character, so it's obviously going to be a lot better, <laughs> right, uh, than the previous. But mm-hmm. you know, again, no one is going to believe me that I hate this uh, director and universe. Uh, <laughs> and then after that, I watched the 2005 classic House of Wax. Yes, yes. the same one with Paris Hilton. Uh, and Dean from Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Yeah. So. Have you seen the um, the original House of Wax? I have not. That one's pretty good. That one's good. I, I when did we rewatch that? I want to say it was like towards the beginning of last year. Um, I made my boyfriend rewatch that with me. Um, and yeah, a very different experience watching it. <laughs> In 2020 uh, versus 2005. I think I saw that one in theaters, actually. Um, I think I did, too. Uh, Maybe we went together? 
Maybe. Did we, did we see that one together? I feel like we must have. I don't know. I was 14. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I had to, that was like the year I graduated high school. So, um yeah. we might have gone together because Stephanie and I, you know, even back then like we've talked about, we're very obsessed with horror, so we used to go see <laughs> see things in theaters and you know rent all the horror movies from our local little vhs rental shop but oh yeah you remember that place i do remember that place i think about it sometimes and i wonder just how out of business it is i know it was like family owned i know family owned business i had a huge crush on the teenage boy that worked there (laughs) um so I loved going there because not only did it mean that we could check out um, horror movies, but I also, um, my little 16 year old heart got to <laughs> <laughs> go pitter pat. No, I'm just kidding. He um, checked out by him yeah. or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's uh, or you. something like that. Yeah. I really don't think he could have cared less. I don't even think he noticed. But um, anyways, uh, House (laughs) of Wax. (laughs) And then I watched the original Wrong Turn. And then I immediately followed it up with there's going to be a new Wrong Turn. It's a reboot. Mm. I think it's coming out this year or maybe next year. But I'm, I'm actually like as someone who's not like I'm not obsessed with the Wrong Turn universe. Right. I don't particularly like those movies at all. Um, I'm like weirdly excited about the new one. Yeah. So that was the one with, um, that's Elijah Dushku, Dushku. right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, her. I do love her. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She, yes. She's awesome. Um, she's badass and she's a babe. She is a she's babe. Got, um, anywho, <laughs> we, uh, we're, ta- then- we're, we're talking a lot about babes in this podcast. We've got a, this is the babe, uh, babe town. <laughs> Spooky babes. I mean, it might as well be spooky babes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we we really missed out spook- on a. We could do an episode called "Spooky Babes," the hottest spooky babes from throughout. Oh boy, our history. That could be a um. That could be a series. It could be a series. We just oh, talk man. about hot ladies. Yeah. Hell yeah! I'm 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 already on board. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. And then I watched Orphan from 2009. I watched Psycho Gorman. Uh-huh. I, I watched La Casa, which is a Chilean horror movie. Um, and then obviously Final Destination, one through five. And then, yes, last night I watched The Ring and then The Abandoned, which is one of the eight films to die for after Dark Horror Fest from 2007. Um, the Abandoned is is the one that I'm, it's the one where she goes back to Russia and yeah, I, I love that movie. That movie I is do too. like, next it was one of level. the, it was one of the good ones to come out of that series. Do you remember when we went to go see that? Um, when we were, I actually don't know where we were living at the time, if it was in Placerville or, or Sacramento, but, um, remember we drove, we had to drive to a theater. I, I want to say it was in Roseville and, um, it was way out there. It was like an hour and a half away from us. And us three, me, you and mom bought tickets to this because it looked absolutely her- like horrifying. So we bought tickets and we went 
do you remember this? And we met we the made abandoned? Like a special trip. Yeah, we made a special trip down to like Roseville. And it was this theater I'd never been to before. And it was like, I don't think I've ever been to it since, but it was the only place that it was playing. Do you remember that? No, I don't think it came out theatrically. I thought yeah. that was the whole point of the series was they're too scary and too disturbing to come out in theaters. I think that was their shtick for like the first round of the films to die for but then they kept that series going and then i think they kind of gave it up and realized they could make money too if it came out in theaters <laughs> but um no we saw that movie in theaters and we bought like special tickets for it and i remember when we were in the theater there was a guy talking at full volume on his phone yeah and we were like, what the heck is going on? But eventually he like either got kicked out or he left or something. But I just, I, I just have a, yeah, a memory of us kind of all piling into the car to go see it. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, it did have, it had a standalone release in uh-huh. movie theaters in February of 2007. Yep. Okay. Sure. No, I don't remember any of that, but sure <laughs> yeah yeah we bought tickets and we went to go see it with with our mom um anyways um that sounds like a good lineup yeah it's okay <laughs> yeah lots of um uh misses in this list <laughs> for yeah. me personally but um i mean obviously i'm talking about house of wax because <laughs> yikes actually house of upon- wax <laughs> Upon oh, rewatching it, Paris Hilton has the best character. Like it, I, she's yeah. actually likable and is mm-hmm. smart. And yeah. Obviously she has one of the more famous death scenes which she gets a like pull through the head. But she's actually pretty good. I'm pretty you, I, go I you, remember Paris. I remember her saying because at the time I think she was like you know, there. This is just this is a different topic for a different day. But um, you know, she was like the person to hate at the time when it came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she, I remember her talking about how she was like, everyone is like really a little too excited about the way that I died in like House of Wax. <laughs> like her death scene was a little bit too celebrated. She was like. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Thanks, I, guys. I'm watching it, and I obviously know how she dies, and when she dies, and I'm like, I don't. But can she not die this time? You know, yeah. Sixteen years later, I'm gonna. Mm. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I was just sad that she died because she's actually I, really good. Yeah, and I, I still kind of weirdly like that movie. It's got kind of like a um, nostalgic feeling to it i think that's why i like it because i remember watching it when i was in high school and it being so, like kind of creepy but i hated it um i thought oh, when it you was saw it, you... To, i thought it was gonna have some nostalgia and it ended up just being <laughs> it just bad it was just really bad and um i can't remember but the star's name uh who she played the daughter mm-hmm. of uh jack bauer in 24 i don't know oh, if God. you remember who i just already dislike her yeah uh parents were obsessed (laughs) with 24 they were obsessed with that show remember we had to watch a lot of 20s to watch (laughs) yes we did and i i hated her in 24 and she's just i don't think she's a very good actress 
But in the beginning when she's with Jared Padalecki because they're boyfriend and girlfriend and they find the the town, you know, that this wax museum is in. He's like, he keeps saying like kind of unfunny things that are supposed to be funny. And she has the fakest laugh. Just <laughs> like every time she's like, <laughs> and she just laughs and it's just, it's so bad. <laughs> it's just, it just bugged me so much. And I'm, yeah. Yeah. That's really fun. That's a, that's a girl after my own heart. I feel like sometimes my laugh is like super, it's, it's always it, it it just gives me away every single time because if I'm not actually paying attention to what the person's saying, I'll just be like <laughs> and they're like, Are you listening? <laughs> I'm like, oh no, no sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's a little awkward. Um Yeah, House of Wax. It's classic. Uh the original, I I don't remember when the original came out. I wanna say it's like black and white. Um, it's old. Yeah. Black and white film. So it's definitely old, but uh, I remember that being pretty creepy and done really well. Uh, so for me this week, I have a field in England. Um, full transparency, I made it through about two thirds of that one. Um, it's not a bad movie by any means. And it's like actually very like, well, it's very celebrated. <laughs> in the uh, community for being a, a good movie. And it, it is, but it's just, it wasn't really totally my thing. So maybe someday I'll, I'll finish it, but um, it's a pretty like upsetting and it's upsetting. And it's just a little bit, I don't know, maybe a little slow. Then it's set in like the, it's supposed to be set in like the 1400s in England. And so, you know, the language is a little bit, um, difficult sometimes things like that it's just not it wasn't a thousand percent my thing but i recognize that it's not a terrible movie um and then of course i dug into final destination one through three and then per stephanie's um request or not request but advice i warning i hip-hopped over final destination four which is called the final destination right on to uh number five so i watched four of those films this week um of course because that's what we're talking about and then um (laughs) on the flip side going directly against stephanie's advice i watched hagazuza um which if anyone remembers from last week uh stephanie told me to avoid and i did not do that so um (laughs) I'll explain a little bit about why I watched it towards the end of the podcast, uh, where we actually have a big announcement to make. Um, Some exciting news coming uh, in the next uh, episode, episode seven. So uh, just listen to the end for our news there. Um, And then I, I watched a few episodes of Channel Zero Butcher's Block. I think I actually only have one left of that season. Wow. I got for a little further along in it than I thought. Um, Cause I, I made it past the halfway point. I made it to like episode four and then something kind of interesting happened. So I just kept watching it. Um, so I'm probably just going to finish it just to see how it ends. But so far it's, it's not been my favorite of the channel zero seasons. Um, so me and Steph are on the same page there. Season two is fantastic um and season one i really liked as well but season two is definitely has been the star of the show 
um, for me, uh, for channel zero, but, um, yeah. So I watched a few episodes of that. Um, and then I watched a really, really, really good horror, um, I guess stop motion animation film called the wolf house. Uh, really, really, really good. Like blow me away, like (laughs) talent and hard work, like crazy, crazy cool stuff. Um, really creative, really dark, scary. Um, loved it. It's on Amazon prime. If anyone wants to check it out. Um, and I believe it's won a bunch of awards too. I think it's only about an hour long. It's not like a full feature length really, but it's pretty much feature length. Um, and then I finished the show, uh, the French show Marianne, which is terrifying and amazing. And for some reason I had stopped watching it like a couple episodes before the ending, um, a while back, which I do sometimes, but then I just decided to finish it, um, in the last couple weeks and it's really good. Just a really good show. Yeah. Uh, as we were talking about earlier, I've seen all episodes except the last episode and that was mm-hmm. like a year ago. I think maybe more. Yeah. I do this every single time. I've done this with so many shows. I will watch up until the last episode and then I stop and then years pass. And I'm like, I'm going to restart the entire show. And that, that could be seasons, you know, like Marianne only yeah. has one season, but that could be like five seasons. I'm like, how about instead of finishing it, uh, fuck it. I'm just going to restart the whole thing. And then I don't finish it again. I know. I'm the same way. And I'm that's what I've exa- done. Oh, I'm the same way. Yeah. I, no, I, I'm the I, exact same way. And then it sucks. Oh, so go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say that I restarted it like a month ago. And I, <laughs> I think I got about two episodes in. <laughs> It's yeah. also been years since I watched um, season one of Castle Rock, um, and I still haven't finished the last episode of the first season. <laughs> and it's one of my huge um, regrets in life and things that I feel immensely guilty about that haunts <laughs> me to this day. <laughs> we like a good self-sabotage here on the we do. Um, Spooky Town podcast me and Steph are cut from the same cloth quite literally so um we're both a little bit similar in some ways and I think yeah I'm I'm the same like I didn't finish Marianne for to the point where I had forgotten what happened in the first half of the you know show and so it Mm -hmm. sucks because you do feel like you have to go back and rewatch everything and it's like well if I had just like done what normal people do and like finished a freaking show for once then I wouldn't have I I didn't even forget everything that happened. Like I remembered. I was just like, uh, but in the spirit of like getting, you know, getting into the groove, I'm just yeah. gonna restart it, and then mm-hmm. I'm gonna finish it off with a bang. I do this with everything in my life. Yeah, so. that makes sense. Yep. Well, that's uh, that's what we watched. We, we uh, watched some things that we're talking about this week got i watched some things that we might be talking about in the next episode but we'll get to that later so let's get to the main portion of the of the ep let's talk about final destination so steph is um very well versed and is like dare i say an expert in final destination lore and um the entire universe itself so she's gonna lead this whole this whole discussion that we're going on um 
But I'm excited to talk about this one. It's absolutely a pillar of um, the horror genre and of especially of horror movies that came out in the um, 2000s. So it kind of really did a lot of new, exciting things, but I'll let Stephanie kind of kick it all off. Yeah. So as everyone probably already knows, because it's a very famous uh, horror franchise starting in 2000, um, this is just sort of the, you know, the broad uh, plot points of all five movies. So the the basic idea is that a small group of people uh, escape uh, an, an impending death, like a huge mass tragedy. They escape because one person has a premonition and they see all of these events unfold in, until they themselves die in the premonition and then they wake up. And it, it's right back to like right before the, the event happens. And they freak out and they get a small group of people out, usually a group of friends, but sometimes it's strangers. Mm-hmm. And then afterward, um, obviously the, the tragedy happens and everyone's suspicious of the person. They're like, how do you know? How did you know this is going to happen? And then after that, all of the survivors start to die off one by one through a series of very bizarre accidents, uh, very complicated most of the time, very complicated Rube Goldberg-esque type deaths. And the the basic premise is that death itself is the killer, so to speak. Um, it's sort of lightly manipulating the the events that lead to their deaths. And it's yeah. uh, basically what it's doing is it's... Uh, they, they were supposed to die... And now because they have cheated death, death is like, no, <laughs> I'm going to go get you. And it, uh, throughout the series, the rules sort of change. But in the first one, they die in the original order that they died in, in the, uh, the premonition that Alex has. So that, that's basically the high level <laughs> overview yeah. of the entire series. And then of, of course there are rules established throughout the entire franchise. There are, um, so, uh, several methods of sort of quote cheating death, things like that, signs, everything. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And w- what I thought was interesting, so it was it was written. Um, the original story was written by Jeffrey Reddick. Um, and what I thought was kind of interesting about you know he was talking about where he got the idea from. Um he actually, he read a story, I guess, about a woman who was on vacation and her mom called her and said, don't take the flight tomorrow. I have a really bad feeling about it. And so the woman ended up changing her flight and the flight that she was on, um, that she, or I'm sorry, the flight that she was supposed to take crashed. So, uh, it was this very, you know, strange story that got a lot of attention and he used that sort of as the inspiration for the final destination original, um, story. And it was actually originally written as an episode of the X-Files. Um, he thought that it would make a great uh, a great episode of the X-Files, which I, I can just, I can literally see that perfectly. Um, but then I guess after a conversation with um, a friend and uh, I think his friend, or maybe it was just a colleague of his at New Line Cinema, suggested mm-hmm. that he make it into a feature-length film. 
Yeah, um, he's so like, he's this like, is this is way too good for an episode. Yeah, like, make this into a movie. Right. Yeah. So, um, so after reading that spec script, um, New Line Cinema ended up hiring Reddick to write the screenplay for the first film. So, um, yeah, I thought that was it's a pretty interesting little origin story that it has. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. So that was the that was how it it was all born. <laughs> And uh, I have a a nice quote here from Craig Perry, who was one of the original producers. And it's, he said in a, uh, an interview uh, with some fellow cast members and some other people involved in the making of the film, he said, my whole life has been ruined by this franchise. I can't walk into a room without detailing how I might die. (laughs) And I think that's a really good uh, uh, encapsulation of the legacy of these movies where it inspired a whole generation of people, I think namely millennials, but also just, you know, any everyone in general. Uh, it, it sparked this deep fear in all of us where, like, what is one of the most long-lasting fears to come out of this franchise? I'd say being burned alive in a tanning bed and driving behind a logging truck. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just like, that's just like part of us now of like American culture. And yeah, there aren't a lot of movies like uh, Jeffrey Reddick says in an interview. It's like, I don't know of a whole lot of movies that have that kind of effect. Like, yeah, there, there are so many people who come up to me and tell me, you know, that I'm terrified of driving behind a logging truck <laughs> because of your yeah. movie. You know, and it was, it's interesting because I was um, reading this somewhere they were talking about, you know, because the, so the first final destination movie came out in, uh, 2000. So, mm-hmm. um, right at the start of the millennium. Um, and of course before, um, September 11th. Right. But, um, the, it's just interesting to watch these movies in order because you can kind of see like, you know, the world changing in these movies. Um, it just kind of reminds you of what it was like to go through the two thousands. But in the first one, of course, uh, the, the premonition that the main character Alex has at the beginning of the movie is of the plane crashing and exploding. Um, and it's just kind of interesting because then, you know, you move on to, um, you know, September 11th happened like the next year. So it's just, it's just interesting. Like in a way it kind of feels like a, a premonition of like this age of fear and heightened anxiety that we had as like a country, you know, after September 11th and um, how every little thing kind of inspires a little bit of anxiety in us and terror. And like, it's just interesting because it felt like, I know it was just a movie obviously, um, but it's a movie about premonition and about like reading the signs and seeing, you know, these seeing death come for you. And it was like right before September 11th in this age of like fear. And um, I don't know how, I don't even know what else to call it. It's just like kind of an age of fear. <laughs> well, and seeing signs and, you know, lots yeah. of, I, I, you know, I wasn't <laughs> alive for very long before September Uh, 11th I was about 10 when that happened Um, so I don't really recall conspiracy theories being as huge as they were after September 11th and as huge as they are now Mm -hmm. but I mean that's sort of 
like there's some people in the the first movie and in all of the movies where they think that the the main character who's the one that had this premonition it's like this big not a not a conspiracy but it's like that they're really paranoid and that they're seeing things that just there's no connection between these things um right and yeah yeah i think it's it, it the fact that the the first movie came out like 1 year before september 11th and it's about a a plane crash and this kid knowing that the plane is going to crash that could not have come out after September 11th. And if it did come out, it would, it would have to be a couple years later, but if it did come out after September 11th, it would be a very different movie. Alex would not have gone home that night. (laughs) He he goes home that night after being briefly questioned by federal agents. He would have lived the rest of his life in questioning in any other year after 2000. Yeah. But no, he he gets to go home because they're like, well, we don't really have anything to hold him for, you know. Right. And- so, yeah. No, exactly. Agreed. And just to break it down for anybody who for some if if you've been living under a rock, no, I'm just kidding. Um if you haven't seen any of the Final Destination movies, the so the first movie opens up like we said with Alex um He's getting ready to board this flight to Paris with um, his school friends. And um, he has, he starts to see all these like strange signs that something kind of off is about to happen. Um, One thing that comes up a lot in the first movie is like John Denver will start playing before something really awful happens. Um, That seems to end in the first movie. The John Denver thing doesn't continue. The, the John but, Denver specific thing doesn't continue. However, there is a quote song of death in all of the movies. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a common thing because it, it will play either right before, uh, you know, a tragedy, a death, um, or it'll come on, on the radio, like in final destination three with Wendy Christensen, um, the song comes on and it, when the lyrics that we hear is, uh, there's someone walking behind you and there's this truck coming down the hill that eventually smashes into their car. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so, always a song. Mm-hmm. So yeah, John that's Denver a, that's is a common thing. John Denver is specific to the first one because he died in a plane crash. Oh, cool. Yeah. See, and that, that kind of <laughs> awesome. thing shows up all the time. No. Yes. <laughs> I love cool that he that died John in a Denver. plane crash. <laughs> Okay, let's. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, and that's what's interesting about these movies is there's a lot like if you don't, if you blink, you'll miss it type of thing. Um, there's a lot of these little details that they kind of weave in throughout. Um, they're visual. They'll flash for like a second, like the flight that Alex and his friends are supposed to get on is flight 180, um, and that number is a common theme that shows up throughout the franchise. Um, you'll see it like in a mirror or you'll see it, you know, um, on a printed on a door or something like that. 180 is a a very big theme as both a number and as, as like in final destination two, uh, a 180 in terms of they, I believe the victims in or the survivors rather in final destination two all die out of order. Yeah. A 180. Yeah. And in the end of Final Destination 3, when Wendy Christensen is on a subway, uh, on a train, she her train number is 081, and she turns around, 
there's somebody behind you that that theme is keeping strong to the end. And she sees in a mirror that it says 180. There's lots of themes of 180 throughout the franchise. And also the original title of the first movie was Flight 180. But they changed it to Final Destination. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Um, You're getting a lot of trivia facts here today on on the pod. We've got a lot. Because there's a lot to Final Destination. This is like a thing with um, the whole series is there's things that kind of continue throughout, right? As they build the universe. So that's, that's what the, the opener is of, of the first film. And then Alex, like Stephanie said, gets questioned by, um, by federal, I don't know, authorities um, about like how he knew that something like that was going to happen. And why did he, you know, insist that people get off the plane and all of that. And, um, and then he ends up just going home later that night, which yeah, it seemed kind of strange to me too. I was like, that's not something that would have happened post 9-11. 9/11. Yeah, this it it seems really it, it so, it's really weird watching that now. Uh or literally any year after 9-11. And it's been 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um but in the, the first one, I, I'd say so Final Destination, the first one has i think the the most amount of signs and superstitions um mostly i think because it's the first movie so it has to introduce all of these signs that are pointing alex towards you know being a little suspicious that there's something weird happening he keeps seeing signs of there's going to be potentially a tragedy or there's something that's going to happen on this flight that it could be doomed and this starts in the very beginning when he's uh, packing for his trip and he's with both of his parents and his mom is about to rip off uh, the tag off of his suitcase. He's borrowing the suitcase from his dad um, and his dad's last flights like tag that they put on your bag is still on there. And she's like, Oh, I'm going to take this off. And he's like, no, don't, don't take it off. Um, And he said specifically yeah, it's like the tag made the last flight without the plane crashing or anything. So I figure it's got to be on the bag, or at least with the bag, for luck. And then she's like, ugh, that's nuts. And she rips it off. And it's like this like doom moment, and he's like, oh, yeah. God. Um, and Alex and I are the same person, man. That's how I, I am before I get on literally <laughs> me. I, Alex has the exact same, not the exact same, but he he and I, and I think a lot of people share like very similar, like little superstitions that it's like maybe in the back of your head, you know, it's not really going to do anything like ripping off a the tag off of your bag from the last flight isn't going to cause a plane to crash, but it's like that. What if, and that's yeah. the whole series. What if this happens? Will this awful thing happen? And in the movies, because it's a horror movie, these things come true. The plane does crash. No, it's not because his mom, ripped the tag off but this is sort of this indicator that's something like this this level of luck that was imbued in this tag Mm -hmm. has now been shattered by barbara browning damn it barbara damn it barbara god damn it barbara i I think we can trace this all back to barbara browning alex browning's mom well can we yes well i guess because uh, Final Destination 5, spoiler alert, 
is a sleeping prequel or whatever they call it. It's a, a sleeping surprise, prequel. A surprise it's a sleep. prequel. It's, it's taking a little nap now. So who started the domino effect? Do you know what I mean? Like one could argue it was not Alex from the first. I, I would argue it was the little nap nap that uh, Final Destination 5 was taking. Yeah. Just, just I'd, quick I'd argue it too. Final Destination Five is a is a the twist is that it's a prequel to the first movie, and that the the two stars that live at the end actually die on the plane because they don't get off with Alex and his friends. Yeah, you got to listen to Alex, man. He he saw it. Um, yeah. So that's yeah, and that's like the the vi- the vibe. I don't know what I'm trying to say. That that is what. That's how you know that something, you know, kind of weird's about to happen, right? It's all these little signs kind of build up and build up and death is nice enough to give you a little bit of a peeksy poo into <laughs> your future with these signs. Well, um, see, now the the premonition oh. thing. Okay. Let's okay. talk about the premonitions. So because- premonition is a major, I, I'll let, yeah, the stuff's going to explain it, but premonition is a major, obviously, part of the main character's in every Final Destination movie, they have a premonition or a psychic moment, right? Well, if they're going to keep making Final Destination movies, they have to keep having these premonitions or else you don't, they're not going to get off the plane. They're not going to uh, right. yep. leave the NASCAR race, the Final Destination. Yeah. Anyway, um, they're not going to leave. So they're not going to have to go through the final destination ringer. So this has to, Mm -hmm. if they're going to, like I said, keep making them and they are making a sixth, which I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. um, This has to happen again. It gets a little bit silly after the first one, because it's like, okay, why are all these people psychic suddenly? Yes. The first time in their lives. That was a big question. I had that the, the, the answer is that it's silly and that it's only happening again because there's a sequel and then there's another sequel. And another. Right. So okay. it, it it starts to strain credulity uh, after the first one. Because it's like, <laughs> why does this keep happening? And why do all of these people not know that they're psychic before now? And why is death right. being so kind as to give them a peek? The answer okay. is that it's not being kind. It's they're just like kind of psychic, I guess. It's not really explained <laughs> why this happens it's just that it happens right and i yes think and i a- alex is particularly prone to it because he's the kind of person who notices a lot of signs and he's a little bit superstitious he's very observant as a character they they kind of yes. try to extend this to kimberly in the second movie um after the tragedy occurs which is a fantastic uh it's a pileup scene on the highway um afterwards she asks her dad uh if her mom, because her mom is uh, dead, if she had ever had any like visions. So she's trying to determine like maybe it runs in the family. After right. the second one, they kind of stop questioning where these premonitions right. come from. I yeah. noticed that too. Yeah. I noticed that too. Kimberly seems to be the the character who's kind of trying to figure out why. Like she even asks uh, Clear Rivers, who is... <laughs> who <laughs> we're laughing because Steph says clear rivers name funny. And I'm just remembering it and laughing anyways. Um, maybe she'll do it for us on the podcast. I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> okay. 
It's an inside <laughs> joke with my boyfriend and I that we say her name in a really bad, like, Italian-American New York accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I'm not going to be doing. Okay. <laughs> All right. I tried. Um, so, Clear Rivers, um, in the second one, Kimberly goes to see Clear Rivers, who is the only surviving member of the friend group, quote, friend group from the first one. Um, and she asks her at one point, she's like, why is this happening to me? And I thought like clear was going to give her, um, was going to give her some info, but then she just kind of ignores the question and just keeps going. But I noticed that too. Kimberly seems to be the most inquisitive. And then it just kind of that inquisitiveness goes away after the second film. Yeah. Like they, they wonder why it happens, but they don't, it's, it's not really explored in any of the other movies except for right. the second one where she does want to know, but then that's kind of abandoned because it doesn't really matter. Um, right. But yeah, the, the premonitions, it's just that it happens. It like the movie has to happen and the movie has to happen in this way or else there is no movie. And if they keep making right. sequels, now five separate people soon to be six <laughs> are all going to have premonitions for the first times in their entire life in the exact same way as the previous. It's just, it's a little bit goofy. That's that's the answer. Okay, okay. That was one of my major questions. I was like, why does everyone keep having these premonitions and why do they not seem to, as like you said, as the movies go on, they seem to question it less and less and it's less of a focus of the story. And um, by the way, Kimberly, she can summon up those premonitions like that. Like I remember Claire was like, What's gonna what's gonna happen next? And she's like, like she just instantly <laughs> has a premonition. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, dang, like she can she's got the good she she got like she's like Alex times fifty, like she can just summon them up, like they just come to her constantly. I I think in the second one they were really trying to continue the spirit of the the first one in yeah. terms of the the two main characters. Like, like you said, it's like Alex, but times 10. They're like, here's Kimberly. And they were trying to go, you know, twice as hard as the first one. Yeah. Whether or not they achieved that is a whole different thing. Um, I don't think that they did because I like the the first one is my favorite. I do like the second. Um, The second has my favorite opening death scene. The highway crash is the absolute best. And I think that's one of the most notable um, scenes or the, that that's yeah. a, a widely recognized, amazing like choreography of that scene. Um, but it's I, good. I, it's super good. It's so good. But I, I think they did. They really tried with the second one to sort of recapture what the first did, especially with the two main characters. And then after that, they sort of were doing different things. Yeah, I the. We'll we'll keep talking about the first. We'll get back to the first one after this. But there's just so much to say about the whole universe. But I the the second one I remember sitting in the movie theater and watching that scene and just being absolutely blown away by not only like the special effects, but just like you said, the whole choreography of each event like was out of this world and it was terrifying and it was big and especially for the time it was like n- had seen really nothing like it. Like that's. That's a car crash for the ages, like Steph said. Like, yeah. Every time you see a logging truck now, like, I'm pretty sure most people, if you've seen it at least, think of that film. Even if you haven't seen it, it's sort of like 
by osmosis, like cultural osmosis, you think of it maybe in like the back of your head. I mean, at least for me and granted I have seen it, but even before I, I'm not quite sure the first time that I saw final destination two, but I know that I either before I ever saw it or I had only seen it once and I forgot it was even a thing. Um, that driving, I mean, I was always terrified driving behind logging trucks and we lived in the mountains where there were a lot of logging trucks. And I always thought about that, that, and the, the first, the, the death scene, well, the, the opening death scene in, um, the descent with her, Mm. when she's driving with her family and they're driving behind a truck that has a bunch of like rods or like poles in it or like pipe, something Mm -hmm. like that. And it, they get into an accident with the truck and it just like goes through her daughter's head and her husband's head. <laughs> that scene and the logging truck scene in Final Destination yeah. 2 stuck, like still stick with me to this day. And yeah. I don't drive behind trucks that have either of those things on it. If I can terrifying. Help it. I yeah. know. Terrifying. Um yes, it and that logging truck has become kind of a mascot for the series, I think. I remember um seeing like marketing materials or something about like one of the, you know, um, one of the subsequent films and, or just even like a post, like a reimagined poster. And it's like that truck is the thing that was on it. And I just remember thinking like and instantly knowing what the movie was before I even saw the text. And it was just like, it's you just so know what it is. Yeah, yeah. Like you just know what it is by just that alone. And that's pretty mm-hmm. powerful. So, so yeah. So Alex, he comes home. He comes home from this awful um, crash that just happened where a bunch of people just died. And then I think the scene following that is uh, when they go to the funeral, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'll let you kind of talk about that. But yeah, they're going through going to this funeral um, and they he gets into kind of like a skerfuffle with um, what's I'm the sorry. guy's name? Who I'm sorry. Hates him? Oh, you're fine. <laughs> I think it's kerfuffle. <laughs> I don't know where we're getting this do you word. Want to, do you want to kerfuffle about this really fast? Because I'm going to go ahead and kerfuffle <laughs> with you about this because I, yeah, something you'll know I'm, about me is I fuck up words constantly, or I'll just like mix mash whatever I want together, and it and just then comes I out make fun away. of it, I, and then I'm just mocking yeah. for it. And Stephanie on a, a public platform, I'm just kidding. I am a big bitch about it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so Alex shows up and they're at this, um, they're at the high school, I believe where, and the funeral is being held there and they're like unveiling a statue. Is that what it is? Yeah. It's a memorial for all of the students that died, um, at this plane and they unveiled the, the memorial like statue is this big Eagle for reasons. Oh Yeah. Um, but there he, he talks to a a couple of the other survivors and for the most part, they don't really want to talk to him. Like clear wants to, but she, she doesn't, Right. but she, she's the only one that followed Alex off the plane because she sort of believed him. And it's later said in the movie that she, at the time, for some reason felt what he was feeling and she knew that she had to get off the plane. Like the reason that Todd gets off the plane is because he's like helping Alex like 
you know, he, he's just calm helping down. Alex. Yeah, he's helping him calm down, helping him like not get into a fight with Carter. The reason Carter gets off the plane is because he's in a fight with Alex. Terry gets off the plane because she is Carter's girlfriend and she's, you know, she's obviously going to go with him. Um, And then Clear gets off at, at the last second just on like intuition because she's feeling what Alex is feeling, that panic. Um, So all of them are present at this funeral or not at the funeral, but at the uh, memorial. He, mm-hmm. Alex talks to Todd. He, I believe he talks to Miss Luton. He tries to, he just tries to talk to her. Um, and she says, stay the hell away from me or stay away from me. You, you scare the hell out of me. Which I thought that was the funniest scene. Like this teacher, uh, Miss Luton is, was one of the chaperones that was supposed to be taking them to Paris. And um, she got off the plane with the rest of them. And her reaction to him at the thing was the funny, like I could a teacher like telling you that you scare the shit out of them after you've gone through this major tragedy. Sure. I was like, dang, Miss Luton. That's rude. Miss Luton does not mince words. She doesn't. She really doesn't. Um I don't I didn't really think it was funny. <laughs> sure. I was like, it just took it took me by surprise. I was like, oh shit, like he just, he, he's just means like business i'm like oh fuck like yeah. you know you're like a 17 year old kid and your teacher's like get the fuck away from me you scare the <laughs> hell out of me <laughs> i mean Damn. she's a wee bit traumatized but okay i know he's like an actual child though you know and so it was just uh, funny i was just yeah. like i mean he's a teenager but still i just thought it it gave me a little giggle because it seemed like a very extreme reaction to a to well, a teenager. Miss Lou isn't teach. here to, to fuck around anyway. She's uh, not. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, he he talks to Todd and uh, Todd's brother was also on the plane. And uh, Todd's dad is like very wary of Alex and doesn't want Todd hanging out with him. So they're like, oh, I miss you, dude. Um, after this all blows over, let's hang out. You know, things will get back to normal. Um. He talks to Billy, um, who is played by Sean William Scott. He he's sort of, I mean, as he always is, he's like the idiot in the comic relief. He just thinks that he thinks that Alex can see the future, which I guess technically he kind of can. And um, he asks him like, "Who's going to win the Super Bowl?" And like, mm-hmm. he asks him all of these things, and he's like, "Get the hell away from me!" <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he briefly talks to Carter and Carter's very, he's just very upset with him in general and doesn't trust him. Basically no one trusts him except for Todd and clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's just very suspicious of him. And also like, why didn't you get everyone off the plane? You know? And it's, yeah. Like Alex can't really win in this situation. He's kind not of like, really stuck because yeah. everyone thinks, he's crazy when he says the plane's going to explode, but then when it does explode, he becomes like suspect number one and everyone kind of has a different reaction to him, which is fair. I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh, Especially since such a large number of people died on the plane, including their classmates, you know, I would understand being very suspicious of him, but yeah, he is sort of shit on a lot. (laughs) throughout the whole thing (laughs) alex gets shit on the entire time luckily alex kind of seems like he can take it and he fights back pretty well but (laughs) yeah (laughs) he tries his best 
I'll say that. He certainly does. (laughs) I like Alex. Alex is my favorite. I do, too. I think Alex might be my favorite um, out of all of them. Out of every Final Destination like well I liked, yeah yeah i mean i because he's the original i think you kind of have a soft spot for him and he's just he's a good character um i did like uh final destination three that protagonist played Wendy by Christensen, played yeah. by my favorite mary elizabeth winstead yes yes uh wendy wendy's good too i liked i liked wendy um i love wendy but Alex is definitely my favorite, I think. Alex has the most to say and has, like, even if uh, some of his thoughts are a bit, um, like, you know, philosophy 101 or just, yeah. like, very much a teenager's take on fate or destiny or you know, life, death, all of this stuff, even if mm-hmm. that's what you think, which would be fair, he's the most earnest and he's, like, he just, he has a lot of interesting things to say about what he thinks is going on and what is going to happen. Um, I think the rest of them are more just sort of reacting to everything going on, but he he's both reacting and then also is like, has all of these thoughts about why it's happening, what's going to happen next, what they can do to stop it, what they can do to avoid it. He, Alex is great. I think Alex is, is awesome. And he's played very, very well by Devin Sawa just a very good character i think yeah he's a good actor too he is a very good actor and unfortunately i never saw him him in anything after final destination but (laughs) i think he's sort of a Um, little bit of a one-hit wonder but yeah i love you and i love i also love ali uh larder i think she's awesome ali larder is great yeah clear rivers as ridiculous as she is is she's good she is the only she character to survive uh, over the course of one movie. She does die in the second movie, yeah. but she is the only character in the franchise to live over the course of or her, yeah. her life spans two movies. And so in the in the scene following the funeral, does is does Todd is Todd is the first death scene of the Final Destination franchise is unfortunately Todd, who's just a good guy, but <laughs> Yeah, poor Todd. Unfortunately, he eats it pretty early on. Um, is that that is that the next phase, or I can't remember the sequence of events. You tell me. Of how he dies. Is that the no? Like, is is Todd's death scene the one that kind of immediately follows the funeral, or is or yes. does Alex? It is okay because there's I mean, a he, scene where Alex goes to clear his house, but I think that happens after. That happens after. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about Todd's death scene. Oh, Todd. Poor Todd. <laughs> Todd. Um, very sad death scene, too. Very it is sad. very sad. Um, his death scene is the first. I mean, it's the first in the series outside of it, the the opening death scene. Um, and it's mm-hmm. since it's the first, it has to establish all of the at least the first movie's ground rules. And that's that there are some things that are being sort of supernaturally manipulated um, by death. And in this case, it's this like toilet water that's leaking from the toilet. Um, mm-hmm. that sort of like snakes towards him in a very ominous way to cause him to either to slip, be electrocuted, you know, something like that. Like there's a bunch of things that could happen with this water. Um, mm-hmm. but 
everything else is just things that he's doing that have the potential to be like a freak accident. Because that's what this whole series is about, is all of these mundane things that are not inherently dangerous that are the sudden instruments of death. Uh, yeah. Which I think is the most... Uh, we're going to get back to Todd's death scene. I'm just going to talk about this now. That no, thing- I, think it's, I think that's fine. I think you can talk about it now because Todd's death sets up the foundation for everything else. Exactly. It's, uh, I mean, the whole fear throughout the franchise, and especially very much baked into the first one, is the inevitability of death and how we cannot escape it. You can maybe delay it, you know? I mean, that's what our lives are. It's delaying death. But once it comes for you and you narrowly avoid it, it's just going to keep coming for you because you were supposed to die. (laughs) That's the whole premise, you know? And all of almost all of the the things that end up killing people, again, are not inherently dangerous on their own. Granted, you know, there are exceptions. You step in front of a moving bus. Yeah, you're you're going to (laughs) die. A bus itself is not inherently dangerous, but. You know, some of the the quicker deaths, because not every death is following in the same pattern of, like, the Rube Goldberg um, scenes. There are some that are very quick, like Billy Hitchcock. He He's decapitated, or he's, like, half decapitated by a flying shrapnel from the train that wrecks mm-hmm. his car. Terry Cheney gets hit by a bus. You know, there's some people who just die, like, instantly um, with no other, like, you know, warning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but out- outside of those, I mean it's these these tiny little objects that we all have in our homes, like a refrigerator magnet, a microwave, a watch, you know, a um I don't know, a fire escape. I'm literally just now describing the death scene of Evan in the second <laughs> the second movie because yeah, I love right? that scene. Mm-hmm. But anything like just literally anything is yeah. is ima- is imagined into this complex death scene in the movies. Um you know the, the loved- thing that ends up killing them is just this again very mundane thing. But that's the interesting thing about the movies is that and and also that death itself is the villain. It death doesn't <laughs> it's weird to say it that death doesn't kill them because Death is just there and it's waiting to take them. And it uh, sort of, you know, casually manipulates the situation so that it happens, but it doesn't cause the whole situation because it, it, it it's not something that it has form. It's just death. Yeah. And they, they touch on that a little bit. I think in the third one, um, they say something like, because in, in every movie, they kind of are trying to figure out in a, you know, in their own way, what's going on. And um, in the third one, they say at one point, I think Wendy says it, she's like, it's not a thing or like a person. It's a, it's a force or whatever that. Yeah, it's an inevitability. Um, yeah. And I loved this quote from and this sets up Todd's death scene pretty well. This quote from the Vol- a vulture article that Stephanie um, shared. It's called uh, the title of the article is called the liberating beauty of the final destination movies. And this quote 
really kind of stuck with me. It says, um, the many minor dangers of our sad little lives. <laughs> First of all, rude. Um, fans, spills, electrical sockets, pool drains, cutlery are weaponized by these movies, which might be ironically another reason why they're so strangely cathartic. In retrospect, it seems weirdly apropos that the first Final Destination opened with a plane crash in 2000. One year later, the real world would enter the age of fear with its constant security checks, its color-coded threat levels, its enduring sense of um, menace. That fear has never really gone away. Much like death in these movies, it migrates into new forms with each passing year. But um, I thought that was a great quote and a great way to describe it. It's, you know, that that sums it up. It's a, yeah, it's, these little things from our lives that, and I think the article, the article ends on a really funny note. It says something about how um, it's just things that you look at every day. And, and, you know, for the more anxious minded among us, which is absolutely me, you think about all the ways that things could go wrong. And you're like, I wonder if that could happen. And these movies are like, Yep, it does. Bye. It sure does. <laughs> and uh, in the, in the second movie, because clear again, she survives the first movie. She in the second movie, we find out that she has checked herself into like an institution uh, voluntarily um, because she is avoiding death, and death is absolutely everywhere. Right? Like mm-hmm. it, it could be anything, and she's in a padded cell. And has very detailed requests about what not to bring to her cell. Like one of the things uh, that's requested because Kimberly goes to visit her uh, is do not bring any objects such as nail files, pencils, pens, safety pins, bobby pins, matches, uh, lighters, belts, belt buckles, earrings, chokers, like anything like that. Do not bring it into her cell because mm-hmm. these, if, the the movies have shown us that it can use anything. A bobby pin, yes. How would a bobby pin kill you? The bobby pin might not end up killing you, but it'll be part one step in the machine that eventually kills you. The like domino toil- effect. Toilet yeah. water is not going to kill you, but toilet water is a really big part of Todd's death. And it sounds a little bit silly, but it is. You know, yeah. it's this very <laughs> mundane, silly thing. But it ends up being yeah. this like monster in itself. So with uh, with Todd, let's get back to Todd's death. He he's yeah. in the. Uh, this is after the memorial. He's in his bathroom, and I, I think he's like about to shave or something. Uh, also, I'd like to note he's like going to shave completely dry faced, and I'm like, okay, so Todd's <laughs> a little bit of a psychopath. <laughs> Uh, but we, so maybe we see, he deserved it. No, <laughs> maybe he did, you know, uh, Just and kidding. we see the, again, the spooky toilet water, like supernaturally come out because it's moving on its own. Like it, it's not just leaking, it's moving, um, supernaturally mm-hmm. and it, it's, you know, creeping toward him. Uh, and it, it, it actually, it does a really good job of creating so much tension and unease and it, Again, it's it's just yeah. water from the toilet. But so he he yeah. pulls out a razor. He keeps doing all of these things that make you think this is gonna how this is gonna be how he dies. He pulls out this razor, he accidentally cuts himself, and he's like, oh shit. And I'm like, Todd, you don't have any shaving Todd. cream on. <laughs> I, what your face isn't even wet. What the what are you doing? So he cuts himself and he's like, Oh, I'm not gonna do that anymore. 
and he starts to he pulls out like these huge tweezers like really long to pull out nose hairs uh and then he decides he wants to turn on the the like little boom box beside him so he goes to plug it in but as he's plugging it in you know he's like about to be stepping in this toilet water so there's the potential for electrocution um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think Do- John Denver comes on actually, and he's like, "Ugh!" And yeah, he, he turns it off. He unplugs it. So then that that potential, you know, death scenario is eliminated. And he's like trying mm-hmm. to pull out a nose hair, and then he decides, "Eh, no, never mind." Uh, and then he he turns around and he slips. You see in the the bathtub that there's like a clothesline with just like articles of clothing that are drying there and he slips on this toilet water and through a you know somewhat implausible sequence of events he falls like neck first onto the clothesline <laughs> which snaps it off the what it whatever it was hanging on and like wraps really tightly around his neck and yeah. so and he can't get it off and while he's like flailing in the bathtub trying to on you know to get this off of his neck a bunch of like the shampoo bottles and the conditioner and stuff spills into the bathtub making the bottom of the bathtub very slippery so he can't stand up so he eventually dies because he just is strangled to death and it's actually it's kind of drawn out it's it's a little it's pretty gross you know but that that's the first scene and this sets up the tone of the entire rest of the franchise this is how it's going to happen for most people. Yeah. Yeah. No, Todd's death is pretty in, intense. It's like the Rube Goldberg-ist of, of I, the whole first film, I think. Like, it's definitely <laughs> like, you're like, oh, is it going to happen? Oh, maybe, maybe that's not an accurate statement. But it's like, I think it's just because it's the first scene. It feels so like um, suspenseful, you know, and you're like waiting it for the suspenseful. next thing. Waiting for the next I'd, thing to happen. Never thought I'd fear water. <laughs> you know, oh, I wasn't and- sure if that was what. So I'm glad you said that because I wasn't sure if it was water because it was so thick. I thought it was like supposed it- to be some kind of goo. Honestly, it uh, like it's kind of it's a little bit blue and it it does look kind of thick. I I feel like that might be because it might be like CGI. So maybe they mm. just didn't consistency down all i know is that it's coming from the toilet i don't know yeah yeah so it's got to be water it's supposed to be toilet water and then also after he dies the toilet water supernaturally goes back into the 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 toilet like the pipe so so that it looks like you know he didn't yeah And, and that's what causes the police and everyone to at first believe that he um had killed himself like that's you know, right. Yes. It, the I do most remember that. painful way possible. But anyway. Um, yeah. And yeah. and Alex knows that Todd is going to be the next one to die because he um, something happens with like a newspaper clipping that's near him. And Todd's name is like cut, cut out. He finds like a little shred of paper on the ground that says T-O-D on it, which is how he spells um which is how Todd spells his name. So Alex knows that Todd is going to be the, the next one. Um, and he runs over to his house and clear is also there while all the cops are surrounding the house kind of, you know, at the crime scene. 
And that's when I think she talks to him and she tells him that she followed. Isn't that when she t- talks to him about following him off no. the plane? No, or she, is that at her house? She tells him to leave. He just sees her hiding behind a tree and she's like, go. <laughs> and then yeah. after that scene, he goes to her house and they're talking. And he, she says the reason why she was there in the first place um, is because she felt what he was feeling when he saw you know, yeah. the piece of paper that said Todd in that that fear she said it suddenly hit her the same way that she that she felt this intimate connection with him on the plane and that she knew to get off because something really yeah. was wrong yeah and so i want to talk about yeah that scene with um with her and alex at her house because it is also like kind of chock full of um things that kind of show you what's about to happen. And maybe I'm reading a little bit too far into this, but um, Steph, you tell me, but I will tell you clear is um, like a sculptor of sorts. She makes like these big metal sculptures um, and she talks about them and um, why she makes them and why she feels they're important. But um they're they're definitely like these large metal sculptures i think some of them even kind of move a little bit and it reminds me of it reminds me of these kinetic metal sculptures that i saw when i was living um in glasgow there was an artist there who used to make these large kinetic metal sculptures and it reminded me of that and i almost wonder if those sculptures were supposed to be sort of a metaphor for death and how like complex it is and it's moving and it's also kind of you know something that could kill you (laughs) because they're very like large and pointy these things and I don't know if that's what that was supposed to be but when I saw it that was the first thing I thought of and then I kind of tied it back into how death is kind of like a large kinetic sculpture I guess yeah I think that's fair yeah I thought it was interesting I thought it was cool that um her art kind of seems like it could be a, a metaphor for the larger the yeah. larger universe i agree okay great i'm smart okay you're so Moving smart on. <laughs> <laughs> perfect um <laughs> oh and you know something something that's interesting that i wanted to mention another hot hot trivia fact um apparently i have it in my notes here so um Apparently, and I didn't notice this in the Amazon version of Final Destination. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have to go back and rewatch it to see because I wasn't looking for it. But um, on the plane, there's subtle cues as to how each person is going to die after they escape this plane crash, right? Mm-hmm. Todd, apparently, is the only one who doesn't do anything to mimic how he's going to die. Now, apparently that is not the case in the original cut. The original cut, Todd mimics hanging himself Mm -hmm. um, when he's asked to move. And um, that of course is, is uh, foreshadowing his death of dying by um, choking on this clothesline in the shower. So um, apparently they cut it out, but they kind of, they cut it out before they re-released it to Netflix where it lived for a little while. And now it's not there anymore. It's on Amazon, but um, they had cut it out and 
rumor has it that the reason they cut it out was because the time that they released it onto Netflix was right around the time that Netflix was under fire for a really graphic suicide scene in 13 reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're thinking that maybe they cut it out because it was kind of making light of suicide, but no one has ever confirmed or denied that. But for some reason, Todd's Todd's little mimicking, mimicking, you know, the, the motion of hanging himself, it has been cut from like all, current Mm. versions of final destination but i honestly don't remember if that's in the version that's on amazon yeah it's it's just a it's a little thing but um people have been trying to figure it out forever because in the original version that's not um that that is there but if you watch uh the all the ones that are out now and all the streaming services it's not there anymore so maybe interesting i mean that was i remember when that was going on with 13 reasons why and I think they were probably being pretty sensitive to a lot of their content that had suicide scenes. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just an interesting little thing that I found when I was, you know, doing some research on this one. I was like, oh, that is interesting. Anywho, um, so <laughs> Todd's dead. Todd is, <laughs> Todd is super dead. Todd's super dead. Clear and Alex chatted out. They kind of get on the same page. You learn a little bit more about Clear um, Mm -hmm. and why she followed Alex off of the plane. Mm -hmm. Um, And who's next on the death list? Is it Mrs. Luton or Miss Luton? I can't remember. The next person to die is Terry. Oh, you're right. Yes. Terry gets hit by a bus. Oh, wait. Unfortunately. Before we go there, we have to talk about Tony Todd because we he, do have to talk about Tony Todd. Tony Todd is obviously a legend and he is um, in Final Destination. Of course, you know, his character is introduced. Um, he in this film is like the um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's the coroner. Thank you. The coroner. Um, and. Clear and Alex break into uh, where Todd's body is, which is at the coroner's office. They break in. Also known as the morgue. Also no- Yes, also known as the morgue. Uh, <laughs> I guess. The body um, building. Yeah. <laughs> they break in there and um, Tony Todd just kind of casually glides out and, and lays down the, the lore conveniently for them so now they've got it he does slap it down and he slaps it down hard (laughs) he slaps it down hard and he and i i was laughing because i didn't know much about like i like i said i watched these movies years ago so i didn't remember much i just thought tony todd at first was just some guy that worked there and just didn't question why these two teenagers were standing Like, he doesn't ask them questions. He doesn't say anything like, what are you doing here? He just starts talking to them about the reason why this is happening, which now I know. Okay. I was fully aware. I was about to lecture you. Okay, go on. I'm fully aware of why, because in the second film, I believe, that's when you find out Tony Todd also has these, like, premonition abilities. Like, uh, when they go to see him in the second film with Clear clear says he probably already knows that 
we were planning on coming. So you can, so now you know, oh, Tony Todd is actually like a magical character, right? He's got some. He's sort of, he functions as sort of like a harp, not a harbinger of death, but he, he is, he, he's in, he's he's not, okay. He's not in on it. I keep almost saying the wrong thing. He just, he knows he's clued in to what death is doing. And he's like death's little like secretary almost. He's the coroner. But he knows what's going on. He knows the rules. He establishes some of the rules um, explicitly. And he just, he knows what's going to happen. And he can, he gives some very fun warnings to our characters. And he is, his character itself is in one, two, and five. Um, his voice is in the third movie. He is the voice of the, the infamous roller coaster. He is yeah. not in four because four is bad. And I I don't blame him. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> four is just bad. Yeah. Tony, yeah. So he's on that scene is super short in the first one. It's only like a few minutes long. Um and he kind of lays it all down for Alex and Clear. Um, and he tells them, like, you 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 fucked up and now. <laughs> Now stuff is going to start coming into, you know, death doesn't like that. And it's going to try to set things right. Let's read some, some quotes from William Bloodworth, which is his name. And it's awesome. I love it. Bloodworth. Yeah. He, uh, he tells Alex and clear, uh, what you have to realize is that we're just a mouse that has a cat by the, that a cat has by the tail. Every single move we make from the mundane to the monumental, the red light that we stop at or run, the people that we have sex with or want with us, the airplanes that we ride or walk out of, it's all part of death's sadistic design leading to the grave. And then he later says, and it's my personal favorite, and he's saying this to Alex, uh, now you got to figure out when and how it'll come back to you. Play your hunch, Alex, if you think that you can get away from it. But beware the risk of cheating the plan, disrespecting the design that could initiate a horrifying fury that would terrorize even the Grim Reaper. And you don't even want to fuck with that, Mac Daddy. Yeah, that I'm that uh line going is to get amazing. that tattooed on my body. Like so I have yeah. a question. This mm. is so this is one of my first questions. I have a little series of questions for Stephanie, because Steph Steph's the ex- so um in final destination five yes tony todd william bloodsworth or blood bloodworth bloods bloodworth bloodworth Bloodworth, um lays down some hard facts and he says which is a new which is actually a pretty it's a new rule in this universe which you don't you hadn't heard before he says to the group of friends that are standing there, um, he introduces the idea that if you kill someone else, mm-hmm. you will be spared, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you will take the life of that person. So their death took your death away from you. And now you have about as long to live as they did, right? Yeah, it sort of so uh, oh, balances out the scales. Correct. Balances out the scales. So... It balances the book, right? Mm-hmm. So my question is, um, because when he said that, I immediately thought of a question that I had in the second film. 
So in the second film, of course, she foresees, Kimberly foresees this awful car wreck, right? With all Mm -hmm. of these people. So to prevent that from happening, what she does is she parks her car. um, She kind of blocks everyone behind her from entering the freeway. All of these people behind her were going to be the people that died in this car crash, right? Mm -hmm. So she prevents all of those people from entering the freeway. Um, And then, of course, you see, like, minutes afterwards, all of these people die in this car crash, but it wasn't them. So if Tony Todd's um, this rule, this law that he that he has communicated now of as long as you kill somebody else, you're good. Wouldn't that not apply to all the new motorists that just died in this big car crash um, because she blocked all of the people that were going to die originally? Right. Wouldn't that be wouldn't that balance the scales? No. And someone please correct me if I'm wrong. However, all of the people that died after she blocked off the original group were going to die anyway. They're not the only ones who died. This was a giant pileup. And even if it was, she didn't kill them. What he's talking about in the fifth movie is killing someone outside of death's design. And we can see that in uh, Peter's character after he's grieving the death of Candace, his girlfriend, um, because this idea is very new. This is the the new rule um, uh, as far as cheating death is established mm-hmm. in the, the fifth film is if you kill someone who is outside of death's design, uh, you will take their place. You will have their life and it will balance the books. Like you said, Peter tries to do that at first by uh, pushing a, a, a completely, you know, unknown stranger into uh, in the street in front of a moving truck, but he can't do it. And then he, he later tries to kill Molly, but that's a different thing. Um, that's what he's talking about. She doesn't kill them. She just prevents the, who will become the group of survivors from dying just like so you, Alex okay. doesn't kill the people on the plane, he just prevents a small group from dying. So you have you have to be the one pulling the trigger, actually, on the person. Yeah, yeah you have to okay. murder someone. And this yeah, is only in the my, fifth movie. My que- yeah, so that was my question because like by like logically, right, if 20 cars pulled out into traffic the 20 cars behind them would be a little bit further behind them. And then those 20 cars would smash into the, you know, and die. And then the 20 behind them would be spared, but because she's, so that's how I was thinking about it. And I was like confused because when we got to final destination five and, you know, um, we get some, we get a new rule basically Mm -hmm. it, it like totally threw me for a loop. Um, but that makes sense. My other question about, sorry, I'm going to get back to the first one in a minute. Um, but no, we're not getting back to my, it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, we're not we're doing not gonna it. We're going to do that. <laughs> Fuck the first one. Fuck, Fuck it. You know, um, we make our own rules just like Tony Todd. No, I'm kidding. Um, so in the third one, 
Okay. Yeah. The third one. <laughs> right. The third one. Um, Wendy, uh, the, the protagonist, um, of course, she foresees everyone dying on this roller coaster. But before that happens, she is taking pictures of people, uh, you know, for the school yearbook. So she has all these photos of her classmates. And um, these were taken before the roller coaster, right? And then the roller coaster premonition happens. She and a small group of people get off the roller coaster. Um, everyone dies on the roller coaster. It's the same formula. But the only thing that's different about this one that I had a big question about was she comes to realize that all the all the pictures that she took of people before they got on the roller coaster indicate how they're going to die after death's design is disrupted. So mm-hmm. my question is, would that not indicate that death's design, like does death just give you all these clues about all of his backup, all of, you know, his or her <laughs> backup plans? Or was death's design actually what was in the photos? And if so, why is it pissed? Because it, it would indicate, right, like that if she took a picture of a character who you can see their head, like, looks like it's getting chopped off or so, I'm just making that up. And, and, but they were actually supposed to be on the roller coaster. But of course, she interrupted things. So now they're not on the roller coaster. But then their backup death is them getting their head chopped off. Would that not indicate that the original plan was to get their head chopped off? That's a really good question. And I think the answer is that they didn't really think about it that much. Okay. Because <laughs> so that was my big question from Final Destination 3. Because I was yeah. like, wait a, wait a freaking minute. <laughs> like, yeah. Did Death know that? And, he, and Death is just being cheeky? Or, and no. has just decided to fuck with Wendy? Or that, that was just the, the gimmick of okay. the, the third movie because okay. all of them except for uh well I'd say the a few of them have gimmicks, right? So yeah. the first one doesn't have a gimmick because it's the first one. Everything it establishes is lore and canon. The second one has the gimmick of uh all of the survivors in this movie previously cheated death at some point in their lives. They all had like either near-death experiences or they like in um i think cat jennings her case is she was on the bus that hit terry cheney in the first movie and yeah not only that she was on her way to this inn um somewhere in like the countryside where she didn't eventually she didn't make it because they had hit terry and so you know <laughs> the trip was delayed and That's at this right. yeah. at this inn, there was like a gas leak and ended up killing everyone there. So she sort of cheated death. That's the gimmick of the second one is that all of these people have had uh, near death experiences. The third one, the gimmick is that the photos that Wendy Christensen took at the amusement park all contain signs of how the character will eventually die. It doesn't, you know, we're starting to lose a little bit of logic here, a little bit of a slip in a little bit. The Final Destination, the fourth one, does not have a gimmick because it's trash, okay? And it adds nothing to the universe. (laughs) 
the the fifth the gimmick <laughs> is what we were just talking about. If you kill someone outside of death's design, you get their life and are thus saved. So they all have their own things to add, except for the fourth one. Right. Um. So yeah, that that's what I. So what I kind of read into, and I don't know if the, I I actually don't think or I don't know if this was intentional and I kind of doubt it was intentional, but what would be cool is if maybe in the sixth one, <laughs> um, if we get a little bit of like a nod to the fact that every character in every one of these installments, every set of characters thinks they have the answer, but they just don't like death. is mm-hmm. just freaking coming for you like a freight train and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. And um, I like to think that that's the, that's the message, but I actually don't think that's the message, but it would be cool if in final destination six or something, if they said like, like there's actually nothing you can do. Like everyone has, people have tried giving birth to stop it from happening. They've tried. um, I don't think she tried giving birth. I think she just gave birth <laughs> or they've tried the theory. They've tried the theory of someone has to give birth to make it stop. So they protected a pregnant woman at all costs. Well, they've tried the theory of it. It's notable that that theory ended up being wrong because that's one of the, I'll, I'll talk about this and just, it a did. Second. Yeah. But it the new life theory wrong. is not, that's not Correct. how it worked. Go on. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. So, and it doesn't really work out for any of them. Like you kind of always think that, oh, this is the group that's going to get it, but no one gets it. Um, Because you kind of, you get that glimmer of hope, but then it's quickly gets ripped out from under you at the end of the film. Everyone's dead pretty much, except for clear rivers in the first movie. Oh, no, there are two survivors. Do you know who they are? Um, well, I mean, we we get a nod to Wendy dying. <laughs> Does she not die? Uh, her death is like question she gets mark. She, smacked by the train. That's yeah. not no. There are two characters that explicitly live. Oh, okay. Kimberly and the cop from Final Destination Two do not oh, die. Oh, yeah. Because you right. you think that Alex lives because he does survive the first film. However, in the second movie, they, uh, when Kimberly is talking to uh, Claire Rivers at the uh, Stony Brook Hospital or Institute, um, she says that he was like he was later killed. We we find out actually through a newspaper article at first um, that Alex and Claire, after the events of the first movie, that they were living together, and Alex hadn't left the house in three months. Uh, because he's, you know, they're both so paranoid. Terrified. And yeah. he finally left the house and he was killed by a <laughs> dislodged falling brick. He had a very <laughs> unceremonious death. I wanted something so much cooler for Alex. I was like, dang it, like a falling brick. Yeah. Like, well, that's, but it's I guess, kind of funny because it's like he, after all of this, he goes through so much pain to prevent death from happening. He and Clear, especially after the first movie. Because yeah. at the end of the first movie, they think they've cheated it. They right. uh, and Carter are all alive, and they're like, "Oh, we're we're good. You know, our our whole lives are ahead of us." And then they find out it's still going, and Carter gets hit by a giant sign in Paris. Um, <laughs> so then they realize it's not over, 
And that's why they yeah. both go into almost like hiding, you know, in the second. Yes. Or previous to and, the second. Yeah. And to be fair, it probably wasn't just a brick, right? Like the um the whole oh, setup of, sure. of everything. Yeah. It's like, you no, know, like ten things happened and then a brick fell and hit him in the face or whatever, you know? So it was probably or- something or he might he might have had one of the unceremonious deaths because some characters right. not all of them get this complicated death. Some of them have very quick deaths, like I was saying. And, and I, right. I think it actually yeah. would be kind of funny if like the first protagonist had an unceremonious death and he was just hit by a brick <laughs> after not leaving the house for three months and successfully <laughs> living in this house for three months. Yeah. Death is just like, yeah, like just throws it at him as he comes out the door, and it's just like, there, it's just like, it's it, just done. pissed. It's like, fine, like moving move, on. We're out, <laughs> Alex. Um, and you know what's funny is I was reading that actually the um the original ending was supposed to be clear, finding out she was pregnant with Alex's child, yep. and then it it would absolve them basically of this impending doom that death has planned because one of the um one of the hypotheses is that if new life is given then um it kind of resets things so the reason that they decided not to go with that ending was because um it it wouldn't have really paved the way for a series to happen so they made um they rewrote it essentially but that was that was going to be the original ending Mm. um but well and that oh, think, leads us into the the methods that are established throughout the entire series with the exception of the fourth because it's garbage of the ways of cheating death and what are the yes. four ways that they can cheat death and it's noted uh notable that most of these do not work the first one is intervention manual intervention um intervening in someone's death can can hinder the design and however this method is extremely temporary because all it does is that you you intervene you prevent someone from dying for example alex pulls carter out of his uh car which just got stuck on the railroad tracks and there's a a train hurtling at them he pulls him out the last second and saves his life death has now skipped him in like the order and goes immediately to Billy, who then, again, as mentioned earlier in the episode, is like decapitated by shrapnel. <laughs> um, my my boyfriend said at that part, he was like, "Someone got too close of a shave or something really stupid and dad like." <laughs> it is <laughs> really stupid Sha- and dad like. And <laughs> Sean William Scott just gets decapitated. Anyways, I just had to get that that little joke in there. That was it. I'm really glad that we. Uh, included that (laughs) thank you (laughs) but uh so intervention is one of them however this does not defeat death this does not save you because it just comes back around to you carter dies at the end of the first movie Mm -hmm. like it just delays your death um and then in the second movie the idea of new life like we were just talking about um they mistakenly believe that the character Isabella, uh, who was uh, pregnant and it was originally supposed to die, they think that her baby counts as the new life, being like this qualifies as the new life theory. However, this is incorrect because if Isabella was meant to die, 
the baby was meant to die. So it being born doesn't change anything because it, right. it was also meant to die. This comes to fruition in the second one and works for Kimberly uh, because she she kills herself to like save everyone. Mm-hmm. But uh, the cop comes in. I don't care what his name is. He's the cop. He comes in <laughs> and he saves her from... Uh, she she drives into a, a lake and he saves her from drowning. Right. Uh, but she does technically die for a couple of minutes and then she's revived. So she she did die and then she's resuscitated. Mm-hmm. For some reason, this worked for him as well. I don't know why. Uh, but they're the only two characters. I think it's supposed live. to like stop. Yeah, I think it's because it's like she stopped the the domino effect by dying. That's true because they die out of order in the second one. Yeah. They do yeah, a 180 in the second one. Oh, I just had a moment of clarity. Thank you. <laughs> so I was like, why doesn't that, <laughs> she welcome. dies first. I don't get it. So the next method, the, the next way of potentially cheating death is stealing a life. Like we've talked about, this was a rule established in final destination five. Where if you kill someone who is not in death's design, uh, you receive their life. However, we this does not happen successfully. Like, like again, most of these don't happen successfully um, in the movies. But that that's another way of like temporarily cheating it. And then the last one, which a little graphic, is suicide. Um, however. If it's not your time to die, death won't let you die. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Final Destination 2, the character Eugene tries to shoot himself with the cop's gun, but despite it being fully loaded, every round is a misfire for like all every round, like all six rounds or something. And it's like this is statistically impossible. And it's because it's not his time to die. Um and this happens also in the fourth movie, but it's bullshit because it's trash. Right. So th- those are the the rules or the, the ways of cheating death that are in all of the movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the, the different things that people try out when they just never really seem to work. <laughs> yeah. And like these, like all of these, all, all the one of these, which is intervention, are not in the first one. Because they had to keep, you know, you're going to make sequels. You have to keep coming up with new things and new things. I'm excited to see what the sixth one brings us, what new rule. But, you know, that that's why there's, like, there's just so many rules when it comes to Final yeah. Destination. And in the first one, it, it, they keep it simple. Intervention. If you intervene, it'll skip you. But it's going to come back to you. Right. Um, so I think that's maybe why... It can get a little bit sillier and a little bit sillier in the the subsequent four movies, but you know, yeah, you got to do what you got to do to keep them, the story going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would love to talk about Miss Luton's death because let's um, talk about Miss Luton's death. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. It is. It is like by far, I think, the most complex one out of the first films deaths in the in the first movie yes it is the most complex it is one of my three favorite death scenes 
me too yay look at that yeah we have our top our top three uh final destination death scenes on here and miss luton's is like number one because it's just so complex and so good i before we talk about i mean this is like the beginning of it and it's one of my favorite moments it's just so funny um when so she's the the scene i'll set the scene she is getting ready to move. She is sick of this school. Fuck this school. Bunch of creepy kids go here that can predict <laughs> predict deaths in the future. Well, That's her mindset. Only one, but <laughs> <Yeah>. sure. <laughs> she's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to go move. Um, so she's packing up at her house. And um, by the way, gorgeous house. It's like... <laughs> A craftsman style. All right. I love it. And it's like all wood and just beautiful. Okay. Love Miss Luton's mm. house. Um, but she, so she's packing up her shit and she's trying to make some tea and um, she pours it into, she pours the hot water into a, a, a cup, a mug with a tea um, bag in it. And um, she goes to like drink it right away, which is kind of weird. Who drinks tea right away, right after you pour water uh, in it? Valerie fucking Luton does. <laughs> That's who. Okay. Miss Luton's like, okay, we're off to a rocky start. She goes to drink the water and she's like, ah, and throws, throws wow. the water. <laughs> okay. That was. Do you know wait. why she screams? Yes, I do. Because the high it's a high school mug it's the it's got the mascot on it it's got the name of the high school and she's so traumatized by this school that she worked for because this awful thing happened that uh it causes her to scream and throw the water across the room she doesn't really scream that loudly she's just like ah, and she throws it and she's like oh my god and she tells herself like calm down this is so stupid like it's just yeah. a mug. I I fully laughed out loud um at that at that little moment. Because then what she does is she goes to um instead of tea, she's like, fuck this, I'm drinking some hard liquor, and she pours ice cold vodka into it. And the difference in temperature causes the mug to crack, which causes um the vodka to start leaking out. But I think the best part of it is she just pours it right in and just walks the fuck out of the room and Supposedly, this boiling hot water is all over the floor, <laughs> and she just doesn't mop it up. Wait, does <laughs> like, no? She this, tosses it into the sink. Um, no, she throws she throws it like, and it goes across the kitchen. Like she, when ah! you're talking about when she drinks the tea, when she drinks the tea, she no, throws it. I rewatched I it because mm-hmm. I, did I was. Too. So, I was laughing about, I was just laughing about that one particular part. It's not that big of a deal. It was just this funny moment where I was like, all right, Miss Luton, like you don't give a fuck. And like, I get it. It's just, it was funny because it's, she threw this hot water all over the place. And then she's like, fuck this. And she just walks out of the room and I was laughing. (laughs) Okay. I was uh, laughing about it. That was it. That was my funny intro to the death of Miss Luton, but well, stuff, pick it up. I'll pick it right back up. So, as Ashley mentioned, the the mug cracked and the vodka is now leaking out of the mug. So, mm-hmm. she immediately starts walking into, uh, like, the front room. I don't really know what this room is. The room that has the computer in it. Um, but as she's walking, the vodka's leaking and it's leaving a trail behind her as she walks to her computer. Um, she 
puts the, the mug on top of the computer. And if you remember monitors back in the day, I mean, they were beasts. You know, they were <laughs> very long in the back. <laughs> and it, it had yeah. all sorts of circuitry they had an, they had a, back there. They had an ass on them. That's they sure, like they had a lot of junk back there. And um, uh-huh. in that trunk. Okay, anyway. It's a nice little 2000s <laughs> reference for you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh she she puts the mug on, on top of the monitor, but on the back where it's like vented and there's circuitry inside and it, it leaks into there and it starts smoking. A fun little detail, which it's not really that much of a detail because it's like hits you right in the face. She um, I think she drops something off the desk and she bends over to pick it up. And when she bends over, we see this like giant glass stained ass. like window, <laughs> giant glass stained ass slash window. <laughs> That has this huge downward pointing <laughs> dagger, which oh. obviously foreshadows how she eventually mm-hmm. dies. Um, and then she gets back up and the computer starts to short circuit and it starts smoking. And she's like, uh, okay. So she leans over to investigate and then the monitor explodes and a, a piece of glass like shrapnel goes into her neck. And she's like, oh my God. And yeah. then... Uh, she pulls out the the shard, and that just causes, obviously, her neck to start hemorrhaging blood. So she's, like, holding her neck, and she's going into the kitchen to get, like, a rag to, you know, put over her neck. And she's she's limping there, and then you see the, the computer sparks and ignites a fire, which, you know, the, the fire begins at the, the trail of vodka that's going into the kitchen. So it's, like, following mm. her. Yeah. It doesn't actually get her she doesn't catch fire but when it reaches the kitchen everything just it, it it reaches the the bottle of vodka which then explodes setting everything on fire and she's like holy shit mm-hmm. and the explosion knocks her down um and she's still holding her neck and then she she sees a rag up on the counter and uh at, at a different angle the audience can see that the rag is on top of her knife block with all of her her, her knives. <laughs> yeah. So she's reaching for right. the rag and she accidentally brings down the, the knives with it and they all get stabbed with a bunch of knives. She's not having a good time. <laughs> this is not Valerie Ms. Luton's Luton. day. Uh, so it's not. Uh, she's like laying there, you know, and Alex is outside of her house because he knows that she's next on the list because he's figured out who yep. all is the order of the situation. Yeah. yeah. The order of death's list. So he sort of senses that something is wrong. So he runs into her house and he comes across this carnage, you know, and she's still alive and she's like reaching for him. She's like struggling. So he tries to help her, but then her oven explodes. Um, because she, I think she had left the gas on or something. It's a gas oven. So it explodes. And that causes a chair to fall on top of Miss Luton which pushes the knives in her chest <laughs> deeper, which ultimately kills her. And it's not over, yep. folks. Yep. Then Alex is like, oh, shit. And he uh, runs and he runs out of the house before the house ultimately explodes. End scene. It's amazing. It's, it's so good. It's, it's so, it's- like, mean because poor Miss Luton. But it, it's yeah. the first, or not the first, because I'd say Todd is the first, like, complicated death scene. 
but it is by far one of the most complicated death scenes in the entire franchise. And it's just, there's so many little working parts of this entire death machine. And it's just so good. Right. Yeah. It's so good. It's great. I love it. I, that was my, yeah. Like I said, it was on my list of favorite death scenes, like in the entire franchise, because it's just so good. And um, I could just imagine like how much fun it is to sit in the writer's room and try to come up with ways like all these little puzzle pieces that lead up to, you know, like for final destination in particular, um, these mm-hmm. insanely elaborate death scenes, like how much fun it right? must be to like try to think about I all know. these things. Um, it just, it seems like a lot of like a fun, a fun movie to write, even though I know it's all about death and it's very morbid, but it's just, it's kind of, it's, it's almost not in a way because you know, you're, well, it doesn't take itself so seriously, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So I think one of the the bigger criticisms of the entire franchise is that the characters aren't particularly fleshed out, um, that they're just kind of mm. 2D a little bit. Mechanisms on, yeah. Yeah. But I think this works to its advantage because you're, in general, with the exception of a few characters, you're not really that emotionally connected to our characters, maybe the, yeah. the protagonist, because you spend the most amount of time with them. But you're not really that connected to Miss Luton. Like, you feel bad for her. You don't want her to die and suffer. But, like, I don't really know Valerie Luton, other than she's a, a teacher who was traumatized. Uh, and I do feel bad for her for dying, but it's not that serious, and I can kind of laugh at it because it's so utterly ridiculous. And I think... yeah that really works in the series favor because it's like you have good characters. Certainly like don't skimp on the characters or else you'll get final destination four and the movie is trash. Uh, However. Yeah. Like you don't really need to get that deep, you know, give us good characters, but we're, they're just going to die later. So it's fine. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. And I don't think, yeah. And I'm not upset about not knowing the characters better. I think that um, honestly, like Wendy, Alex and clear are probably the three that I have the most like sympathy Mm -hmm. for um, out of everybody. Uh, Those are the people that I was like kind of bummed to see go. (laughs) Um, But that's not really, I mean, there's a fair amount of balance that you have to strike when you have a movie like this, because really like what people are coming for and what the series has is become known for are these like incredibly creative, elaborate death scenes. And um, they have to kind of up the bar every time with every new movie. Right. Um, so I think it's a balance between how much do you get into character development and how much do you get into like, murdering these people in like the craziest ways possible yeah, without crushing your audience's heart. You know, <laughs> I think they did the the most amount of character development in the first movie out of all. Of yeah. Them. Um, and I think that's kind of why the first one is so good, but I didn't really need the other ones to be as good as the first one. Like really, yeah. like you said, we're, we're here for the death scenes, you know, <laughs> we're not here right. for, the most amount of depth. And while the series offers a lot, I think a lot of depth um, and well, very real cultural staying power. 
it's we're not here for the characters <laughs> as much. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think what and I, I think that after the first one came out and that became something that they were like, oh, people really liked that. So it became mm-hmm. a thing that they focused a little bit more on in the subsequent films, right? Um, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, that a little bit. Like the things that make Final Destination kind of stand out among the rest in the 2000s, especially like it was really, and I wrote this down in my notes, like it was similar to Scream mm-hmm. where the characters are very self-aware they're aware of this force that's coming for them and they're actively trying to upset it or get away from it. And like in scream, they talk about like, Oh, this is the classic horror movie trope of I'm going to go, you know, walking off on my own and die. Like the killer is going to jump out and get me. And in final destination, it's, it's less of that. And it's more of like, you know, oh, death, like I can start to see the signs and I know what's about to happen to me. So the characters are very like self-aware in both of those films. And I thought Mm -hmm. that was something that was pretty unique to both Final Destination and Scream, which correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Final Destination came out before Scream. I might be wrong, but um, I think Scream, no, Scream came out in 1996. Okay, so Scream was first, but um, and they're they're different, of course, entirely. But those two films share a similar, I think, um, the, the characters yeah. share a similar like agency, right? Mm-hmm. The nineties, like the latter part of the nineties, and then the two thousands, I think, were very um, self aware. I think, and they were kind of making fun of what each other has done before or what they're doing now. And that's very much present in Scream, which uh, really laughs at itself. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, we know. We know what's going to (laughs) happen. And Scream is a lot more snarky than Final Destination is. Final Destination is a bit more serious. That's true. Um, Scream is very, like, overt about calling out, like, tropes. Like, yeah, they they just, they literally say it out loud. Yeah. What, what they're making fun of. I think Alex is probably the most screen character in in Final Destination mm. because he's the one who's like, I this could kill me, this could kill me. And that's especially apparent when um I think it's after not after Carter dies, uh after Billy dies, after he's decapitated, he has to basically go into hiding because the the I think they're FBI or something, but the federal agents are like they're already suspicious of him and he's like okay like this is now the third person you know that in my little band of survivors who has died like they're gonna think that i i have something to do with it so he goes and goes into hiding at clear's father's old fishing cabin um and we see his setup at the fishing cabin he's like death proofed everything he's put Mm -hmm. uh for some there are a lot of uh hooks and nails like on the walls like a surprising (laughs) amount he puts like you know like duct tape over things like cushions he puts a a ton of corks like wine corks over these like rusty nails i don't know why there are so many i'm like honestly just take them out like just get a hammer just take those bad boys (laughs) out alex you don't need to waste corks it's fine right right (laughs) but he he attempts to death proof this cabin 
Um, yeah. Because he's recognizing all of these tiny little things that could end up spelling his doom. He uh, He's like eating this can of tuna. Uh, because I guess this is the safest thing he can think of to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a really big thing in, in a lot of the movies, including this one, is like kind of like a spooky wind. Death. You oh, know? Yeah. It, it's death, like wind. Death is wind. Death's wind kind of either coming out of nowhere because there's like no windows open or it's just like it's noticeable enough a, because it precedes a big event. I wanted to make a fart joke. <laughs> That's so bad when you said death's wind. Death's wind. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure. And I didn't say it. So. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I kind of brought that on myself. <laughs> <laughs> now I can't stop giggling. Um. But no, you're, so you're right. Yeah, this this wind comes in and it starts <laughs> rattling shit around. It does. <laughs> Ashley, this is very serious. Okay, <laughs> we're talking okay. about death wind. I don't know what's so funny about that. So I was anyway, say, I shut was up. Say that's what I used to call <laughs> Stephanie's farts when she was little. But I didn't say that. You see, because I'm a. Mm. <laughs> You I didn't say it. Sister. Even now, you didn't say it. Wow. No, so I didn't. Cool. So you can't get mad at me about it. Okay. Yeah, except All for right. the time you fired on my head. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so. All right. The breeze rattles shit around. And a uh, a closet with a bunch of dangerous fishing shit in it uh-huh. almost falls open. And he like runs over to keep it from from opening. Because there are a billion things in there that could fall and kill him. Uh, and he he sees, he like catches this rusted um, like hook that would go on the end of a, a fishing line to get the fish. And he like, he sees it and he laughs. Because uh, yeah. he's like, are you fucking serious? Um, and he says, he, he yells, this is my favorite Alex moment or just like character moment in the entire series outside of Bloodworth. He yells at death and he says, you tried to capitalize, but I caught you. You fuck. <laughs> yeah, I can beat mm-hmm. you. Not forever, but I've got this cabin rig to beat you now. I just thought that was hilarious. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this yeah. immense. I love Alex so much. Um, but yeah. He, like, Alex he's, doesn't have any of it. No. he He's like the most, I think, self-aware and then later clear becomes very aware of things um yeah and and it's it's kind of like i think of scream and final destination as like these movies that came at the end of a series of genre films like horror you know genre films from the 80s and 90s that set up all these rules and um set up kind of the way that horror movies work like they built all these formulas that you know people were using for decades and all of these things so i think by the time the 2000s came along um and filmmakers were looking at what they wanted to do and what would be new it was like why don't we poke fun or why don't we kind of play with that idea of uh horror movies having a specific like formula and set of rules that they have to abide by. And let's kind of like pull that out and kind of poke fun at it a bit. You yeah. start to see that in the two thousands. Um, and I think final destination does it in a less like, 
overt way where scream does it in like a really overt way but final destination is a little bit more like it like we talked about towards the beginning the villain and the monster in this isn't a thing that really shows up it's just a it's just a a part of life it's just a part of your life that's terrifying right um and that's the scary thing and so it it kind of it's a slasher film without there being someone that's slashing you (laughs) It's exactly that. Yeah. Because, so, I mean, there are so many things. I mean, a- every horror movie has a killer, you know, the, the thing that is killing people or the thing that is terrorizing people, even if it doesn't kill them. They all have monsters. Um, but none of them, they're all instruments of death or they're all, you know. Yeah. Not working for death, but they're all, you know, sort of like death servants, you know. Right. But in this movie, it's it's very unique because it is just death itself. And death, death is not necessarily, it's not evil and it's not good. It's just a, it just is. It's just a force. However, in Final Destination, it is kind of a dick, but that's, you know, yeah, that's for the, the sake of the movie. Yeah. But that that's very unique to the Final Destination series. And this was a really new idea at the time that, and this is something that Jeffrey Reddick talked about. He's like, I I wasn't sure really how to sell this idea to to New Line Cinema because it's like, well, who's the killer? There is no killer. The the killer, quote unquote, is death. The real killer are these just mundane objects that just kick off a series of events that end up killing us. Yeah. Um, and that was something that was really new at the yeah. time and that it was a really risky move because it's like it's not all of these like sexy teens you know that are dying they're pretty average honestly <laughs> like alex isn't yeah, just like this sexy absolutely. guy clear i mean i think ali larder is beautiful but she's not like overly sexualized you know this character mm-hmm. um she's just like this quiet girl who yeah she's she's just like a you know she's just she's not the sexy character that is in a lot of horror movies or at least horror movies at the time. Yeah. There's, and I have, yeah, that's a great point. And that's the other thing that it does quite differently. Right. Is it's, it's the teenagers aren't necessarily like, they're not the same teenagers that you see in most horror films. Still, honestly, still horror films are made where teenagers are, are kind of these hypersexual, um, super hot, um, super hot 25 year olds who um yeah exactly like, we're playing like 16 <laughs> and 17 year olds we're supposed to be 16 whereas final destination of course there's some there's like romantic tension between characters but there's not it's sex isn't really a major part of the story at all um and sex has absolutely like there's nothing in the first movie that has any mention of sex. Yeah, right. Like there's no it's like, just not part of the story. I mean, this is this is something that's, you know, we talk about a lot in the horror community. Um like if you see someone having sex or if there's a horny person, you know, in the first like little bit of the movie, that's the person that's going to die first. Like it's like this morality thing that horror movies do sometimes. And this doesn't do that at all. There's no, 
there's no trait that tells you like who's going to die first. It's just the way that death has it planned out. So there's, they kind of remove that like morality stamp Mm -hmm. from it. There's no morality. It's just, it treats everyone the same and and, it has a plan and it's going to make sure it happens. And it's not punishing them. You know, there's nothing that they've done to incite death's fury. They, the only reason they piss off death is because they cheat its design. Um, but death was coming from them. It was just supposed to be their time to die. They yeah. didn't do anything. They're not like evil people, you know. Uh, they, this isn't revenge for anything. It's not that type of movie. They were yeah. just supposed to die along with the rest of these people. And because Alex is psychic, <laughs> they didn't. Um, and, you know, repeat ad nauseum into the rest of the movies but uh that i think that in itself is still unique to this day because there is no punishment you know there's no like like you said like overarching morality that's supposed to be in these people's lives that's punishing them for their transgressions their sins um there's nothing like that it's there's no revenge Mm -hmm. they didn't do something bad They're just normal people. Something normal was supposed to happen to them. They were supposed to die. And they didn't. Uh, Yeah. And I I think this movie also was a really good, because it, I mean, it came out literally in 2000. And kind of like what we talked about last time with Pulse is like things that were going on in the 2000s. Um, But, you know, in America, because this is <laughs> this is what I know what was going on, was I, I think that the decade's primary identifiers are the fragility of life and also, more importantly, our modern conveniences that are killing us. Because this is a time, like, the, the 21st century opened with a lot of anxiety. Like, cannot speak yeah. for the 20th century, was not alive, was alive for the beginning of the 21st. It was like oh my God, so many things are changing and it's happening so, so fast. Like we're getting cell phones, we're getting the internet, we're getting computers, we're getting all of these these new and kind of like legitimately scary um, like devices that are intruders. They're invaders into our lives, into our homes. And it's like, are we safe? I don't know. And there's, I don't know if you know the phrase, what if phones, but too much. Do you know that? <laughs> no. What if phones but too much <laughs> is like Black Mirror, basically, you know? It's oh, just, okay. What if technology but too much? Um, oh, got it. Which okay. is a pretty succinct yeah. way to, you know, <laughs> sum that up. <laughs> but even though this was the beginning of that, because um, it's like, wh- what if all of these these things that end up killing people, but if too much but it's based in actual real anxiety at the time instead of just mocking the youth. Yeah. Like, oh, they're right. so disconnected from reality. And it's like, right. no, you know, <laughs> it's not making, in my opinion, it's not making fun of Ashley and Ashlyn or something in the, the third movie for going tanning. It's like, no, they get cruelly trapped in these tanning beds and are set on fire. So while, while while death isn't necessarily targeting every one of us, like, you know, 
not on purpose, but it's not like, hey, fuck you, you're going to die. It's like, no, it's just, it's your time because that's the natural order of things. It is, the the entire series has such a sense of uh, hopelessness, I think, that rings throughout all of them because there's, there's no ambiguity about death. It's just, it's coming for you and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. It's not this being that you can bring down with like a spell, a ritual, you know, bullets. You you can't do anything to stop it. You can't punch death in the face, no matter how awesome that would be. (laughs) Um, and that's just, that's in the entire final destination franchise is just that it's just coming. And and also like what a movie, what a, a concept to perhaps not introduce, but to just, just have in this, like, you know, very well packaged movie that's aimed at like teenagers and things like that in the year 2000, like what a powerful thing to, to say and what a also really depressing thing, but also it's very true. Like, Welcome to the new century. If death is coming for you, it's going to get you. No matter, it doesn't matter if you have sex. It doesn't matter if you don't have sex. It doesn't matter if you're a good person, a bad person. It literally doesn't matter. Unless you are murdered by someone else, you are you are going to die and this is just going to be your time. You dying on a plane, a, a, a plane crash, you being on a roller coaster that's derailed, uh, you dying in a bridge collapse that has nothing to do with the kind of person that you are or the choices that you've made. The only thing it has to do with the choices that you've made is the choices that have led you to this moment. Um, I think that's a, a just a really cool thing about this entire series. And I think it's very unique in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to see what, what the, you know, 2021 I guess it's, I think it might be coming out in 2022 version of all of this is almost like 22 years after the first mm-hmm. one, the world has changed so much and our fears have changed and evolved. And um, we're still very much in this age of fear that they talked about um, kind of well, circling around now. the franchise. Yeah. So, I mean, they have a lot of material that's for sure. So I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, and interested to know what they do. Um but on that note, I think we should end the the podcast about Final Destination by talking about um, just mentioning what our favorite death scenes were. We already talked about we share one, Miss Luton's, um, but we have two more each. Steph, you want to share your two? Yeah. So my my second favorite uh, is in Final Destination Two. It's Evan Lewis who is like probably the least developed character because he dies first Uh, but he's the lotto winner Mm -hmm. Uh, he was in his like super cool car and his car exploded in a very improbable way that cars would never explode i love i just i love the opening scene with the second one because cars would not explode like that but it's it's great um yeah, people, I, they said this in an article, people are just like human water balloons filled with blood in Final Destination, and it's so It's good. so funny, and I just, it's the it's like the car version of that. It's just like <laughs> a water balloon yeah. full of fire, I guess. 
doesn't make sense. Yeah. But yeah. yes. Um, His but death Lewis, was pretty awesome. Evan Lewis uh, is a lotto winner or a recent lotto winner. So he has the really hilarious thing of he just like, he just like is incredibly lucky because he won the lotto. Like what are the chances? And then now what are the chances that he's going to die the way that he dies? Basically just zero, but it happens to him. And I think it's absolutely hilarious so his death is preceded mm-hmm. by him almost dying a couple times because we see him carrying like several huge boxes and bags to his apartment after shopping and getting some cool stuff like a new computer and like, you know, really cool clothes, things like that, um, that he's bringing into his like kind of shitty apartment. And when he's walking to his apartment through the building hallway, there's like a ton of these like small children's toys littered across the floor and he almost trips on like a bunch of them. I think it's funny that he almost trips on an ambulance and dies. Um, but he doesn't, he gets to his apartment Mm -hmm. and everything just like immediately starts going wrong. He opens his windows and throws out some old spaghetti, which becomes important later. Uh, he is like looking for something to eat. So he puts some, uh, old noodles in the microwave to heat them up. But when he, before he does that, he puts them on the counter and he doesn't see that a refrigerator magnet like falls off into the noodles. So you're like, uh Oh, and he puts it in the microwave. You know, that's obviously not going to go very well. Yeah. Uh, He then, he turns on the oven to begin frying some frozen mozzarella sticks. Then he puts on his fancy new watch while he's listening to his answering machine with like all these girls being like, hey, Evan, heard you're rich now. Let's like hang out. He he puts on his new watch and he's checking out his ring and he's like, damn. And then his microwave begins to spark from the magnet, obviously, which startles him and his ring falls down the drain. Uh so then he does, you know, what anyone would do. It sticks his entire ass arm down the drain to get this ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gets stuck because, well, actually the watch makes it, his hand gets stuck. But, you know, his, his arm gets stuck while the microwave continues to spark, which eventually ignites a fire. And then the he tries to use a towel to put out the fire, but accidentally knocks the pan over. And that sets his whole damn apartment on fire. Then the fire, the fire is Mm -hmm. spreading and spreading. And then he manages to get his hand out of the sink. And he tries to use the fire extinguisher to put out the fire. You know, this doesn't work. So because it's just there's too much fire at this point. He runs for the window. He barely manages to escape for the apartment explodes because why not? Everything explodes. And then he he escapes onto the fire escape um, and he grabs onto the escape ladder, but it gets stuck going down. So he's like jiggling it, you know, and he forces it down. Um, and but only like, you know, so far. So he has to kind of jump off in order to get to the ground. Mm-hmm. And then he steps on the spaghetti he threw out earlier and slips on his back. And then the ladder like jolts down and stops like inches from his face. Right. And he's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like a second later. Yeah. The ladder goes all the way 
goes into his eye yeah. and kills him instantly. It's about as complicated as Miss Luton, how... and I love it. It's so good. It is. That was the big complicated scene in that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it's great. Um, and that was that was the second one, right? That is the second one. That was the second one. I have a favorite from the second one. It's when Rory, Rory gets sliced in thirds by um, a fence, by a barbed wire fence, and that's it's a very simple death scene. That's about as complicated as it gets, but. Um, and his organs just come exploding out of him. <laughs> like his, I remember it, their, their favorite is to do the, like the long intestine comes like out of someone. It happens in the fifth one too. When um, the character who's supposed to be the gymnast gets impaled by a flag mast in a flag mast on a boat as seen in the main character's premonition doesn't actually happen, but her organs come exploding out of her body and like her long intestine comes out. <laughs> mm. It's very, very graphic. Um, and then my last one on here is um, from the fifth one where the gymnast does her uh, routine. No, that's mine. That's yours too. Yeah. Yep. Where the gymnast is doing her routine and they kind of, they get you all freaked out um, with a nail that is sitting on top of the, um, what's that piece well, of equipment called? Let me specify. All right. It's a screw. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a screw. Um, She's Candace is a gymnast. I'm just going to steamroll this conversation. Okay. All right. All right. Candace is a gymnast. She's at her last practice before like the championships or something or some big competition. She's complaining about the the heat of the the gym and they're like, "Uh, oh, we're working on the AC." And then we see the guy fix the AC. So she starts doing her routine. But we see the AC yeah. up at the high, you know, ceilings of the gym and it's like banging around and it's causing a screw to come loose. The screw unscrews itself, falls, lands perfectly on the balance beam that she goes on. And the entire time, she is coming so close to stepping on this <laughs> this damn thing. And it's so tense yeah. and so like, oh my god, please do not. <laughs> please just don't. I don't want this to happen. Uh, also, I, th I think the, the air conditioner is also like dripping liquid like water so that's yeah landing there's on water the, dripping there's water dripping onto the like the, the pad that they're all on which is also next to some exposed yeah. wire why not uh final destination yeah. as you come to find out is just a cautionary tale in osha violations so that's that's funny because that was the exact joke Aaron, my boyfriend, made. He was like, this is just OSHA violations, the the story. They could show this, like, clips from Final Destination in, like, an, a training session for... Well, I don't know if you can again, hear my cat screaming at the door, but... <laughs> cannot hear her screaming. However, okay. Aaron can stop stealing my really good jokes that I came up with <laughs> by myself. Right? Anyway, so live wire water, Right. So that's a potential way that someone can die. And she ends up finishing her routine on the high beams. She doesn't step on the screw. She moves on to the oof, high bars. 
or high beams, I think that's what they're called. I don't speak gymnast to swing around and shit. And then another girl gets on the, the balance beams. She almost steps in the, you know, potential electrocution area, but she puts a towel down on it. So it just negates that method of death. She ends up, uh, she's yeah. swinging around on the high beams. Uh, the, the next girl on the balance beams does end up stepping on the screw. She falls off. She knocks over a bowl of the powder that they use for their hands to grip the bars. That's blown into a fan. It blinds Candace. She dis, not dismounts, but you know, flies off of the high beams and just thoroughly wrecks herself <laughs> in the most improbable way possible. Her spine, her like, spine rips is through her completely backwards, and it's like, it's yeah, great. it's the force of which like her body is just fucked like almost immediately is pretty in- intense. Um so Candace Candace doesn't make it unfortunately. Candace yeah, she, eats it she pretty hard. Dies her a bones bit. are like have exploded out of her body. Yeah. She dies just a little bit. So those are our favorite um final destination death scenes and um there's actually a article that let me see collider wrote about um the best uh, the all the death scenes ranked in final destination and it's hilarious so you should go check that out um but yeah all in all you know i final destination is a great next installment in our little lost 2000 series because it was just one of those um it continues to be one of those franchises that uh just took a little bit of a different turn than everything else that was coming out um, in the decades preceding it, especially it kind of stepped outside of what was going on in horror and the genre um, in general, and just kind of did its own thing. And I think that um, obviously it's become one of the biggest franchises of the entire genre. Right. I mean, it's been, it's been pretty prolific. So yeah. It, yeah. Regardless that's of our, whether, uh, that's regardless of whether or not you actually like the movies, <laughs> it's. I mean, it, you cannot deny how timeless that they are and how long lasting they are, and the the profound effect yeah. that they've had on our culture and society. Because when you say final destination, that's like like a final destination death. It's like you. I know what that that means even if i hadn't seen any of the movies i know what the movies are about and i would have known what you were talking about it means a really kind of ridiculous and complicated way to die like and it's coming from things that are yeah. very mundane and it's like death is around every corner that's i mean that's just forever married to our culture and the final destination was extremely important yes. and i'm looking forward to the new one yeah i'm very absolutely. excited yeah, we'll have to do a little special episode on it when it comes out, um, whenever we're allowed to, uh, or whenever it's safe to go back to theaters again. That is when hopefully it comes out so we can see it, because that would be an awesome one to see in theaters. Everyone, don't screw up, because I need to see Candyman and Final Destination 6 in mm-hmm. theaters. Oh, God, I miss theaters. Please. Um, <laughs> Same. Please please um 
Anyways, thanks for joining us on the, yeah, on the second installment of this series. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. It kind of brings me back to my high school days, obviously, this whole series does, because that's when I went to high school. And, um, and it's been fun kind of going back down memory lane. But yeah, next, for our next podcast, um, we actually have a special guest joining us. Um, this will be our first guest ever on the podcast. Uh, Scott Benson. Scott is, if you don't know who Scott is, um, he's the creator of the video game Night in the Woods, um, Longest Night and Lost Constellation. Uh, He's an animator and an illustrator and just an all around creative badass. And he is going to be on the podcast next week. And we're going to talk to him a little bit about what he's working on right now, um, a little bit about his past projects. We're huge fans of his. I just got done playing night in the woods and it's an amazing video game, just stunning. And I was very sad when it ended. Um, We're going to talk to him about that. And then um, we are going to dig into the world of folk horror actually. So we have quite a bit to say about that. And uh, we have a lot of movies to watch over the next couple of weeks. We might unfortunately have to talk about Hagazusa and I'm going to barf. Yes. We are going to be talking about Hagazusa because Scott, um, likes it <laughs> and we're gonna be nice to him about it um, i'm just kidding we don't yeah, have to be nice. uh, um <laughs> but scott i, uh, I can't really, promise anything <laughs> yeah i really we're didn't really like excited it excited to talk to him yeah <laughs> we're really excited to talk to him he's um yes he just it's a cool dude. Um, so make sure you join us for that. That was the big exciting news that we had. So come on in for that one. I don't know what I'm saying. All right. Well, this has been an especially long podcast. So thanks for, for sticking around. Um, we appreciate you. And go uh, go watch some Final Destination movies. Don't watch the Final Destination because it's trash. And if you do watch it, watch the part where Hunt gets his internal organs sucked out of his ass in a pool. It's yes. great. It's the only good part of the movie. All right. And when we say, yeah, the Final Destination, that's the title of the fourth one. They didn't call it Final Des- Destination 4, in case anyone's confused. That's- in case you're confused, it's the fourth one and it's trash. Yeah. But it is the one where Hunt's internal organs get vacuumed out of his ass in a pool. So go ahead yep. and give it a watch. There you, go. you know, don't pay give for it. Watch. Watch don't pay watch. for it. Don't do that. Find it somewhere no, else. Not worth it. Thank you for joining um, us, everyone. All right. You heard it here. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for your uh, undivided attention. We love you. We wish you health, all the health and happiness in the world. Um, and stay in, as always, stay in. So that we can watch uh, Candyman and Final Destination <laughs> 6 in theaters. I was going to say, and watch horror. Because Steph always says that, that at the too. end of our, our pods. Stay in and watch horror. That too. You're awesome. We'll see you in two weeks. Okay. Bye, guys. Thanks, bye. Bye. <laughs>